listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Let's open our Bibles this morning, if you have one, or just open your eyes, or your phones, or whatever it is, to Ruth chapter 4. Now, you know, we're going through this series where we're talking about Jesus revealed from the Old Testament, how not only is God the true hero of all the scriptures, but really all the scriptures are one big story explaining how all of the universe and all of history culminate in the person of Jesus Christ, making us the family of God. And you may be wondering, if you know anything about the Bible, why we're hitting Ruth this week, but next week we're going to be doing Joshua. So if you don't know, that's out of order. And guess what next week is? Yeah, it's this guy's fault. Next, not really, but yeah. Next week is Mother's Day. So wouldn't it have been great if we would have been doing this in the biblical order and Ruth would have fell on Mother's Day? And so we want to apologize for that, and we don't know why we did that. We cannot remember what in the world was going through our minds. And so we don't want to confuse anybody. Joshua does come before Ruth. Well, this morning we're going to hear what we've already sang about, that we have a Savior, a King, a friend in Jesus who has come to redeem, that is to take back, to reclaim everything that has been lost within us and within this world. We're going to start this morning by reading from Ruth chapter 4. Ruth is a short book in the Bible, only four chapters. You can go home and read it all this afternoon. But I want us to go ahead and just read a, a large chunk here in Ruth chapter 4 where this story really comes to a head. And then we're going to walk back through it, just to kind of paraphrase it. So Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Here we go. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And you'll learn these characters in a minute. Behold, the Redeemer, it's an important word, of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has came back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Bye, in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me, so I can know. For there is no one beside you to redeem it other than me. So I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate, to carry on, the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself then, lest I impair my own inheritance. So take my right of redemption for myself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming. Hope we're seeing this as a big word here, redeeming. Redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction that one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So that was weird, but this is like our handshake, one of the ways they had, here's my sandal. So you might want to start trying that. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand, so bought, redeemed, from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. And we'll see, that's her husband and her two sons. But also, verse 10, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, 
I have bought, redeemed to be my wife, to perpetuate, to carry on the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Note that. We know that city, right? Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman's, women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Underline this. Father of David. And these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Father, thank you this morning that you are a God of redemption. The God who takes what is lost. And when we feel like we're at the dead end of life, when we feel stuck, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel deserted, betrayed, and left alone, that you are faithful, that you are working with us, that you are for us. And today, show us this story in our lives, in Jesus, whose name we pray, amen. Well, I hope everybody's ready to sing. Now, I know you can tell my voice has gone out. So if you're like, eh, that's kind of corny, I'm not going to do that. You're going to have to do it. You see, I can't carry it. And we are going to sing the song Desperado. And I'm hoping our congregation isn't too young to know that song. So I'm taking a risk here. But this is important. Here we go. Hit it. Get us started here, Libby. Desperado. Why don't you? Come to your senses You've been out riding fences For so long now You're a hard one These things that are pleasing you Can hurt you somehow But you draw Diamond boy, she'll beat you if she's able. No, the queen of hearts is always your best bet. Good job, keep it going. Seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table. 
But you only want the one you can't get. Remember that. Desperado. Oh, you ain't no younger. Your pain and your hunger. They're driving you home. Remember this part. And freedom. Oh, freedom. That's just as some people talking. Your prison is walking through this world all alone. That's a prison. Don't your feet get cold in the wintertime. The sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. It's hard to tell the nighttime from the day. You're going numb. You're losing all your highs and lows. Ain't it funny how the feeling goes away? Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Come down from your fences. Come down and open the gate. It may be raining, but there's a rainbow. Better than the eagles know, you better let somebody love you. Let somebody love you. You let somebody love you before it's too late. The, the, this is the word to the world, right? But we know it and we feel it, don't we? The, this myth of the rugged individual. I can do this on my own. I'm not going to open up. I'm not going to share myself, my life, my struggles with anybody else. But you know that kind of freedom? That's just somebody talking. In the book of Ruth, from the beginning of this story, we see a woman by the name of Naomi. Now, this is a book is called Ruth, right? And Ruth is a big part of this book. But there's a woman in this story named Naomi. And this is where this story goes. She is a bitter woman who has lost everything and just says, I quit. I'm tired of trusting people. And really, she's even saying, I'm tired of trusting God. Why even bother trying to love people and live life and let them in when all it seems like is I just end up getting hurt again? Some of you know exactly how that feels. And I would bet this morning in this crowd, there are some of you, that's exactly how you feel this morning. Trying to make it on your own. Some of you hiding in a church gathering with a smiling face, but you are holding out from opening up yourself to be a friend, to have a friend. But the story of Ruth challenges any such thinking. This is a story about the faithfulness of God, keeping His promises to Israel. But it's the story of the faithfulness of God through the friendships that He gives us. It's a story of how the darkest days of the judges in Israel, God is at work to establish his kingdom that rights all wrongs, that rescues sinners, and restores all things to their rightful place. But at the same time, it's a story of ordinary relationships 
If you were in the middle of this story that we're about to see, you wouldn't think any big deal is going on. But what we see here is that God is at work in our ordinary relationships. And what we're called to see, and this is our main point this morning, is that gospel friendship is a great gift of God's faithfulness. Gospel friendship is a gift that we need to receive as a provision of His faithfulness. So in this story, we see it starts out in chapter 1, and there's a conflict that's going on here. Israel has fallen into a time of famine because of their sin. Again, we're in this time of the, uh, of the judges. The people of Israel are doing what is right in their own eyes. They don't care to trust in God, and so God sends a famine on the land. The famine is to do one thing, is to draw his people back to repentance, to trusting in him. But God's people are very interested in repentance most of the time. You can read the book of Judges to see that. And so there's a family, Elimelech and Naomi. And what they decide to do instead of repent and seek the Lord's face is we're split in town. And so they go to this neighboring place of the Moabites. The Moabites were really the enemies of Israel. But they're thinking if, you know, if they got some bread over there, then who cares? We want to live. And that's number one on our minds. And so they leave Bethlehem, which Bethlehem actually means house of bread, the place where they were to be fed, but they go seeking greener pastures. Well, these greener pastures turn out to be just darker valleys. Because as they go to the land of Moab, Elimelech's two sons marry two Moabite women. So they're, they're basically, what they're doing here, we don't understand this. They are just throwing off their identity as, as a person of Israel, as a part of the children of God. And they're saying, we're just going to make this our family now. And so God in His grace, even though they leave God, like Zach said in his testimony, God's not left them. So they're running from God, and God in His grace is running after them. But we see sometimes God's grace comes in painful ways. And so they go there to live, and there, instead of finding life, they find death. So Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And now she becomes a widow in a foreign land. And this was a very, very vulnerable, desperate situation. But if that wasn't bad enough, guess what happens? Her sons die. So they went there for life, but all they found away from God and His people and His call to repentance is death. And so here she is. A widow in a foreign land in that day and time, we have to see here, a widow has nothing and no hope apart from her husband and her sons. But she's got these two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And she looks at them because she's just like, hey, girls, the ship has sailed. You know I ain't got nothing to offer you. Just go back home. You know, you can still go home and you can be taken care of. This is your land. I've heard that God has sent... Lifted the famine, and there's food in Israel, so I'm going to head back. With my head hung, my tail between my legs, and just see if anything good can happen. Well, one of the daughters like, see ya. I'm gone. Right? And that makes sense. But not the other one named Ruth. Ruth pledges her faithfulness to Naomi. But what we see is it's not just a faithfulness to Naomi. Because in this crazy faithfulness... There is a bigger faith, a faith in God. I want to read these verses in one, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. I think we may have them here. Ruth said, said to Naomi, 
do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Notice that. I'm not just following you, Naomi, but I, you might have left God to come here, but through you, I found God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, if you have your Bibles, and you can maybe even see here, it's not up here, but in, in a lot of our Bibles, it's all caps. So Ruth's not just saying, may the Lord, some God of the Moabites here. She's saying, may Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel, May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is a huge, bold, I'm going to deny myself and follow the God of Israel faith. Because they're walking into no man's land. And so they go back home. Naomi's here in Ruth. Again, if you just imagine, they're walking into the town. They got nothing. And actually now it's maybe kind of worse for Naomi because now she has this foreigner with her that everybody's going to be like, who is this girl? This Moabite? We don't like Moabites. And so Naomi walking into town at the end of chapter 1 is like, you know what, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because that means bitter. And guess what? That's exactly how God's treated me. He's dealt bitterly with me. So I'm coming back home because I want bread, but God, all he wants to do is hurt me. Well, Ruth is bold and faithful. So in chapter 2, we see Ruth says, I'm going to work. There's a law in Israel that foreigners, sojourners in the land, that although they can't get a regular job because they're not welcome, they are welcome in the sense that they can come to the fields and the workers are supposed to, as they glean from their harvest, leave some leftovers on the side and the foreigners, the sojourners, are allowed to get the leftovers. And so Ruth gets out there, and she gets to work early. She's going to provide for Naomi. She has made this pledge to Naomi and to God. But she ends up in the field, and this is no coincidence, of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a relative of Naomi. And the reason this is going to be so important and so helpful is because there was another law in Israel. Not just the law that sojourners could glean from the side of the field, but Naomi and Elimelech had had to sort of sell, but really in Israel more like lease their land out to get money from it and to leave in the time of famine. So Naomi's lost everything. And as a widow, as a woman, she can't buy it back. She can't redeem it. But a male family member, if they could get one to do it, could buy it back and could redeem it. So this is the field that God puts Ruth in. So we see God here is at work. And Ruth sees... Boaz sees Ruth out there working. I don't know if she is pretty or what, but she, he, she gets his attention. Man, who is that hardworking woman? And they say, well, you know, she's actually Naomi's daughter-in-law. Naomi, she's my relative. And so Boaz decides he's going to really treat, treat Ruth. And so he, he says, I want y'all to leave some extra food, grain on the side for her. And hey, let's bring her on in here and she can eat with us. And, and Boaz tells Ruth, I ain't going to let any of these punks hurt you. Because you can just imagine some of you may have been a woman that's working in a factory or something. All the way all the guys treat the one girl, especially she's pretty or something. And he's like, none of that. None of that. And he says this to her in chapter 2, verse 20. May he, or, or Naomi says this about Boaz as Ruth tells her what happened later in the day. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
And Naomi said to her, this is a close relative of ours, Ruth. He's one of our redeemers. So this is a game changer. If, if somehow Boaz and Ruth were to get married, Naomi could get all her land back and she could get her life back. And if they were to have a son, then she could have it all back. So chapter 3, Naomi hatches this plan. Ruth, here's what I want you to do. And it sounds crazy. It's a risky. When Boaz is going to go to sleep tonight, I want you to creep up by where he's sleeping and I just want you to lay by his feet. I don't know about you, that sounds like a seduction, doesn't it? But we see it's not. She does it, she follows the plan, and Boaz wakes up <laughs> and notices his girl's laying down at his feet. And he's like, what in the world? And this tells you how a noble man Boaz is, right? Oh, I was asleep, I promise. I don't know what happened next. No. He wakes up, and he's like, who are you? And this is how Ruth responds. And this is where we see what's really going on here. She answered, and this is chapter 3, verse 9. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, again, if we don't understand that, we might imply more than the text says. What she is saying, and this language would have been known in Israel, is for God to spread his wings over someone, is for God to put his protection, his care over a person. So you'll see in the Psalms where they talk about how I live under the wings of the Lord. She is asking him, as it were, a bold move in this day and time. Basically, will you marry me? Now, if you think that's a little out of step today for a woman to do, right here, this is craziness. This is craziness. But these girls are desperate. They're desperate more than we can know. And Moaz responds with yes. She's in a sense saying, cover me with your redemption. Make it right. And he says yes. And although it could have looked bad, he makes sure that her reputation is protected, even the way that this has had to transpire. Again, you could go read all this. But the plot thickens here, and this is where the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4 comes in, is that <coughs> Boaz said, but we got a problem, Ruth. There's a relative that's actually of closer kin than I am. And if he wants to buy this land, if he wants to redeem it, according to the law, he's got dibs on it. And I'm sorry that that would mean he gets you too. And so, but Boaz, he's a man, right? He's taking initiative. He loves Ruth and he's committed to this family. And so he says, tomorrow morning I'm going to take care of it. So he gets up and he goes to the gates where the men hang out and he goes to the dude and says, hey, here's what's going on. Do you want to redeem this land and this family or not? And the guy goes, yeah, I will. And you're like, no! Get this bum out of here. He's ruining our story. But there's a catch. Boaz said, you realize, buddy, if you buy that land, this Moabite woman comes with it. You buy the land, you marry the woman. That's how it works. And you know what this guy says? I ain't going to fool with that. Who wants that, right? She's, this would drain me. She's going to make me look bad. This intermarriage, what? In Israel? Forget it. 
I know that she's made her commitment to God. I know that she is one of us through her faith. But I don't go there, buddy. And so Boaz, he's pumped, isn't he? And they get married. They go through that strange sort of little ceremony we saw of commitments. Because Boaz doesn't just want the land. He wants Ruth. And then the Lord gives Ruth conception. She bears a son. This is not a minor detail either. Because now a son has been born. And in our text, the son has been called a redeemer. And at the end of this story, you can just imagine Naomi, who was bitter, who was lost, who was empty, who was barren, who had nothing. Now she's holding this baby. And you can just imagine... Some of you have like, no, like your grandparents might have an old home place or something. And they had to sell it and all that. And just imagine now she's back in her land. Maybe even back in the home she grew up in. Or Elimelech grew up in and where she was married. And here she's holding this baby. And it's just, it ain't just any baby. Because there's a king going to come through this baby. Do you see the faithfulness of God in this story through a friend? Do you see how he is present through her? Do you see his faithfulness through Ruth who looks to Naomi and says, even if I die, I'm going with you. Do we see this pattern of hard work? See, some of you in here think, oh yeah, I'd love to have a friend. But do you realize it's a hard work? It's hard work to hang in there with somebody, to go through all their stuff. And to just keep on getting up every day and going there. That it takes risk. Because what we see in this relationship is Ruth and Naomi, they're not BFFs. That's what in this, I know it sounds lame. They're GFFs. They're gospel friends. Because there's not a lot of sentimental stuff really in this story. But what we see is Ruth saying, Hey, I might have to get my boots on and get out in the field for you, but I'm going to go there. And there's some of you in here thinking, Oh, I've got my friend and oh, we so love each other. But y'all aren't going anywhere together. I just, I'm not trying to be mean. You're not taking the risk in that conversation to say, Hey, let's talk about how the gospel replies to the way that you talk about your husband every time. Or guys, let's talk about how the gospel applies to the fact that you feel like your wife is always nagging you. Or to that co-worker, you know, we work together and we go to work and we, when we come to church together and we go to work and we're different people. Let's not be that way. We see here a perseverance. You see, we, we know this whole story, don't we? They didn't know it. Sometimes we forget that, right? Ruth has no idea what's going to happen at the end when all that awesome stuff is happening. And we don't know what's going to happen at the end. But what do we know? God is in control. He's faithful. And because He is faithful, we're called to move forward in our friendships. In the movie, The Lord of the Rings, we see this. And I was like, all right, nerd alert. All right, but I like Lord of the Rings. Okay. Frodo and Samwise. This is a story of friendship. And this is so, so relevant. They're trying to make it to Mount Doom to destroy the ring so that everything can be made right. And Sam says to Frodo, you can trust us, trust us to stick to you through thick and thin to the bitter end. You can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face your trouble alone. 
or to go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. That's what we're seeing in the scripture that Jesus is calling us to. You can trust us to be here, but you cannot trust us to keep our mouths shut and to leave you alone when you need the gospel. Brothers and sisters, if you have not experienced what it's like to have a friendship that goes beneath the surface of sports and weather and common uh, situations you faced in your life, you are missing out on the greatest joy. Because it's a joy not found in another person. It's a joy found in Jesus. Experienced between people who lock hands and walk through life together. Some of you are getting to experience this in your marriage and you need to thank God for it. Others of you need to start by taking your marriage there. That we're not going to just coexist in this house. We are going to live as gospel friends together. This is why we have what we call fight clubs. If you're not in one, I want to encourage you. Within our missional communities, groups of three to four, men in groups, women in groups, gender-based, where we get together on a regular basis to not just look into God's Word, but let God's Word look into our hearts. To not just learn the gospel with our heads, but to nourish one another. To walk together. To grow together. To walk in faithfulness, hard work, go there in those conversations and to persevere in light of the bigger story of God. And you might think, I can't do that. You just don't know what I've been through. I don't even have a category for what it looks like to receive that kind of friendship and I definitely don't have any power in me. You just don't know me. If you're like me, I grew up, I wasn't used to any man sharing how they felt. Just let me tell you, I could never imagine my dad, it's laughable, sitting down with another man and saying, you know, I've really been struggling with showing mercy to my wife. And it really hurt me when she said that the other night. You know what, the men that I'm used to being around, something bothers you, just go get busy working. You know, I'm going to go, my, my friend is the woodshed, I'll go chop wood. It's hard for some of you men. It's hard for some of you ladies. But the power is not in you. We've got to see that this story is about a better friend than Ruth, about a better friend than Boaz, the friend who is Jesus. He's the greatest friend when everybody else will desert you, when everybody else will betray you, when everybody else will leave you to die. He's the one who died for you. He's the one in John chapter 15, he says, you know what? I don't even call you servants anymore. I call you friends. And he says, no, no, no friend has greater love than this than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And we're all in here, whether we realize it or not, we're the ones who betrayed him. We're the ones who ran from the friendship of God, and yet God ran to us in the friendship of Jesus. He's the greater Boaz. He's the greatest redeemer who covers us with his garment, who takes us as his bride. It's not like God the Father said to Jesus the Son, you know what? Go redeem the world. And Jesus looked and said, uh, do I have to take Rusty too? Yeah, that's his name too. <laughs> that's my name if you don't know. 
It's not like he saw all the junk in your life. Whoever you are here this morning in your life, he wouldn't take me. He takes the world, but there's a little clause at the bottom, a little asterisk with my name by because of all the sin and hurt in my life. No, like Boaz, he said, I just don't want the world. I want you. I want you. He's the greater hope. And we're not going to read all of this. But as we come to the end, we see this son is not just a son that is born to Ruth and Naomi, but a son that is being born for the world. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, I'm just going to read a couple little sections. And you've already heard these in Ruth. In verse 4 of Matthew 1. Ram, the father of Minadab, Aminadab, the father of Nation, Nation, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of who? Boaz. Not an unimportant little point here, because most of these things aren't naming the wives. By Ruth and Obed, there's that little baby at the end of Ruth, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And then you go down through all these other names. If you're like me, do your Bible reading like this is a minute genealogy. Don't do that on this one. Because it goes down through all these names. Jeconiah, Eliakim, Zadok, Eleazar. But then we get to verse 16. It's the same family line as Ruth and Boaz. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Who is called Christ. Do you see what came out of that? Those ordinary faithful friendships built out of faith in God. It's amazing. What you consider to be ordinary, mundane, day-to-day relationships. If you will let the gospel of Jesus invade them. He can change the world. You may say, well, all I got today is Jesus. He's enough. You may say, I don't have a lot of gifts. All I can be is a friend. That's enough. You may say, I don't want to be a friend. I don't want nobody to know me. Well, you better let somebody love you before it's too late. My fight club, Zach Wilson, you saw up there, Zach Baker. I think he's working this morning at his house. Dustin Nolan. There's weeks I couldn't get by if I didn't know I could send these brothers a text or make a phone call to them. Men, we need friends. Women, you need friends. Ruth has nothing to offer but the loyal love of a friend and it changes the world. And through her, Jesus comes to us and says, I'm here to be your friend. So this morning, you may be here and you feel alone. You know, I don't even know the first person to talk to. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and see in him the friendship that is the greatest sign of the faithfulness of God. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that though we betrayed you, ran from you, and said we didn't want to walk with you in the cool of the day as our friend, that you pursued us and rescued us in Jesus. So may we find in you that friend and may we be those friends. In Jesus' name, amen.